Excited about NFTs in the metaverse? Ready to be part of the future of gaming? Recur is looking for talented producers, product managers, game designers, economy designers, and engineers. Recur is building branded NFT collectibles and games with top IP, including College Sports, Paramount, Star Trek, Nickelodeon, Sanrio, and more, using its best-in-the-industry technology platform. Recur's platform streamlines the NFT collecting experience. No crypto or third-party wallets required. Simply buy an NFT with your credit card or Apple Pay. And Recur's robust gamification system creates infinite collecting and gameplay possibilities from which to make compelling play and earn experiences. Recur is backed by some of the biggest names in crypto and NFTs, including billionaire Stephen Cohn, Gary Vee, and Gemini, among others. Join us now and get ready to ride a rocket ship. Let's fucking go. Welcome friends, it's time for another Tokenomics. I've got a very, very exciting episode for you today. Uh, today, no Mishka, I've got Anton Bachman, Principal at Play Ventures. Greetings, travelers. <laughs> uh, it's me, Ethan, the uh, executive producer of Legendary Heroes Unchained, and I'm very, very excited to have our special guest, Khaled Alrumi from Alluvium. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much, Ethan, for having me. Yeah, of course. I was uh, really excited Khaled said yes to coming on uh, because as we look at uh, crypto winter and everyone uh, being worried about the bear market, Alluvium just did a $72 million land sale. And we're here to talk about the land sale and all things Alluvium with uh, the system and economy designer uh, on that project. Um, so, Khaled, can you start by just giving us a little background about yourself and, and your experience in game development? Yeah, sure, sure. So, like, uh, I'm from Kuwait, and I've been a gamer all my life. Uh, being from Kuwait, you know, it's a bit hard to, to get into the game industry, so all of my experience actually comes from starting my own studios. So I've been working in free-to-play games, running my own studios for around 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and just uh, yeah, fo most most like focusing mostly on build and battle games, mm -hmm. with small teams. You know, taking the big guys head head to head. So <laughs> it's been a really really tough journey. Yeah. Uh, and actually, we had to close our studios on on 2021. You know, because the free to play space was becoming much much harder for for indies. I think, especially if you're focusing on these type of games. You know, the, the LTV versus CPI issue was becoming pretty difficult to solve basically yeah. so the web3 game looked interesting and then we decided to take a leap on that awesome that's really amazing that you have that kind of indie developer spirit and you were able to grow something and and uh, build a team build a game release it from kuwait is there much of a developer community out there or is it just mostly you it's it's pretty minimal. Like there there is some hobbyists, I would say, some little attempts here and there, but but no, nothing major, nothing major. Oh, yeah. Um, so why don't you give us a start uh, and just tell us about Alluvium? Uh, what is the game? Uh, where is it in its development cycle? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So basically, Alluvium is is an ecosystem that consists of of two parts essentially. So we have one part which is the DAO that has the ILV token at its heart. 
uh, basically where the token holders are the owners of, of, of the DAO. And then you have the other part, which is the Illuvium universe, which will consist of as much as I am trying to avoid, you know, calling it a metaverse, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's like a universe that consists of multiple games, you know, that at, at the spine you have the, the Illuvials, which are our versions of Pokemon, mm -hmm. that will be usable across all the games. So Got currently it. what we have, we have uh, Illuvium Arena, which is an auto-battler, something similar to TFT. We have Illuvium Overworld, which is a third-person RPG where you get to run around, collect resources, get into battle with, with, with Illuvials and trying to capture them. Uh, and the last game that we currently have is Illuvium Zero, which is the uh, land gameplay, basically. Got it. So you thought, well, it was really hard to make one build and battle live ops game with the team of 10. I know I'll go work on a game that's three games simultaneously. Exactly. Exactly. It's a bit crazy, but like this is what happened. And, and, and honestly, like uh, at the time where I wanted to, you know, get into the space, most of the projects were not that appealing. Mm -hmm. Illuvium was very appealing to me. Yeah, absolutely. Was very appealing, yeah. Um, just to give people, what would you say? What would you what would you say were the main things uh, that attracted you to the project? So me coming from a, a, a background where gameplay was the first thing that we focus on in terms of, of, of games, it is it is something that is very appealing to see, you know, a, a studio that is a gameplay first, you know, where where the moment that I had the first interview with with Aaron, one of the co-founders, like the, the first thing that we we get to talk about was was the depth and how are we going to achieve the depth and we started solving problems related to you know achieving depth with minimal complexity and things like that nothing really uh, compares with the other meetings that i had with the other companies and on what they are focusing so yeah that was the main thing i would say got it um i i, I mentioned the uh the land sale as one of the uh, uh, success points uh, already for Alluvium, $72 million just closed the other day. Can you tell us, uh, do you know some of the other uh, kind of vanity stats? I know Alluvium is just crushing it both with its token and with the Alluvials themselves. Um, so give the audience a sense of the game's or the project's success so far. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, believe it or not, like Illuvium was, was founded on, on, I think, if I'm not mistaken, on late 2020. And, and until now, we, we, we didn't have any major NFTs out. Like, we have some, some small things here and there, but no, nothing major. The land sale is, is the first NFT mm -hmm. uh, collection that is out. Uh, we currently have around 220K Discord users, 330,000 on Twitter. You know, I, I think our, our community is, is, is by far the biggest achievement that we have. Mm -hmm. their loyalty uh, we have run into some incidents where there have been some compromises some hacks and the, the you know, community stood by us and then truly really proved like even even i think i would attribute that the land sale and the success that that, that it achieved is to the community so uh yeah and we are currently around a little bit over 200 employees god wow so the team that's is huge big, yeah. and the um Alluvium token, I'm just looking at it at, on CoinGecko right now. It's at $270 per token uh, with a $176 million circulating market cap right now. So that's yeah. really uh, an amazing kind of uh, basis for your DAO and for your community and, and a sign of how much that community believes in it. And between uh, the token holdings the liquidity of the token and now the land sale 
uh, alluvium has a lot of uh, 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 gunpowder in the barrel with which to develop all these games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's definitely this year is going to be very interesting for alluvium. Like we got a lot of stuff in the pipeline, so it's going to be very interesting. Got it. What's your uh, role on the team? Uh, so currently, my official role is a game designer, uh, and what I focus on is mostly uh, systems, economy, and balanced design. Uh, I move from working on Illuvium Zero, which is around gameplay, to the overworld, uh, and in the, in the Boto Battler as well. Got it. So that is there anything is there anything you would you could pinpoint from mirroring back to your free-to-play design experience? Anything you can highlight? What are the biggest kind of changes in your work right now that you have to also take into account how how an open economy might be uh, might be sort of affecting the economy? Obviously, there are additional components also with with the land gameplay, which we can get into in a in a few moments. But anything you could highlight on kind of what what feels different now? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So uh, I think the area where ha- it has or it feels very different is the land gameplay. So Illuvium Zero is basically very similar to a city builder where you get to you know create resources, build buildings, optimize your layout to increase your resource output. So something similar to what you would see in uh, a builder uh, game on mobile. But the way you try to optimize it is completely different. So no longer we are just focusing on retention and monetization. Here we have some other things to put into perspective, you know. So that's that's by far the, 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 the biggest challenge is that what is my paradigm exactly? What I'm trying to focus on optimizing? It's completely different. Here you might need to optimize for the floor price for NFTs. You need to make sure that the economy is sustainable. You need to make sure that uh, uh, the cadence of which the players play are not necessarily similar to free-to-play, where you want them to, to you know, build a habit and then keep on playing. No, it's, it's completely different. And I still mm. didn't, you know, put the dots exactly or oh, this is the way how it should be done. It's still a mystery to me. I'm still discovering it. Got it. Why do you think the, um, that's really interesting, why do you think the play pattern uh, will be or should be different? Okay, so I could give you an example. So in, in, in our land gameplay, it's it's... I would say that the gameplay is not really uh, the star of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, lands, uh, once we get into, like I could discuss them in detail later on, but it's like the main purpose of them is to generate fuel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah, the experience needs to be engaging, but it, need, it, it doesn't need to be tedious enough where it's like we are making uh, the landowners really get to work to get their fuel. You want the experience to be just enough for them to be engaging enough but you don't need them to be on the app always. You don't mm. need you know, to, to drain them uh, or you know, just keep monetizing them constantly. It, it doesn't work like, like that. It needs to be a pleasant experience for them where they would be able to get their yield without having to go through a tedious amount of work. Got it. So uh, if I think about some of the land games or appointment games I've played on browser, mobile, free-to-play, uh, there might be a reason if I'm playing optimally for me to visit my city once an hour or even more frequent if I really want to min-max it. Um, and that the uh, theory behind something like that is that uh, forming that daily habit where someone's checking their their city every hour to collect their resources and set new appointments and collect appointments um, 
that will lead to long-term retention just because when they think they have a free moment, what they're going to do is open up their city. And it sounds like um, with Alluvium, you're expecting a different player type with different motivations. And if someone's more of an investor than a game player, they might want to only check in once a day or even less, you know, a couple times a week. And that you're, uh, as a designer, focusing on that play pattern uh, more. Is, is that right? That's 100% right. Like, you don't want it to be tedious enough where the investor would say, you know what, it's not worth my time. Mm. Why, why would I want to keep that, that land? You know? So yeah. that's why I actually had to design it in a way where it's like logging in once a day is more than enough. And it needs to be, you know, uh, as seamless as possible. But of course, like this is a theory. I could be wrong, but like this is how it is now. This is how uh, it makes sense mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I would love to uh, uh, learn the results of any A-B tests that happen <laughs> as a result uh, to try and test that frequency. I know for my, uh, for the economy I'm working on currently, I uh, am focusing more on game players than investors as a player mm -hmm. type. Um, and that may be an advantage of not having a token out there yet that um, we can think, uh, you know, people who are in it purely for yield and purely for investment uh, are great, but they can also be very challenging for your community. And so, uh, you know, I, my, our theory is by focusing on the gameplay uh, will make something that people who are who start as investors will actually want to check in every hour and maximize their resources anyways because they're having fun. So it'll be interesting to see which um, which theory works out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it depends on the game. Like uh, this is what happens in Alluvium land gameplay, which is mostly investor people, like players who are seeking mm -hmm. deals. But that's completely not the case when it comes to Alluvium Arena, which is the auto battler. It's mm -hmm. completely different. Right. Sense. So if you think about the different experiences, there might be a reason to check in with different alluvium experiences every hour. Uh, but the land exactly. itself, the land had what was um, the floor price for even the lowest tier land was quite, quite high, right? Yeah, I think like now currently, I'm not sure it could be half an eighth. Mm. So you can expect anybody who is playing the land game currently is in that investor class and that leads to then the design that's such a great insight um that i'm gonna yeah and actually, actually highlight yeah actually tying to that tying to that i have a question maybe both of you uh if, if we if we assuming that or if, it, if the assumption is that we put um a good amount of of early assets into the hands of players before before the game is out and before it's maybe discoverable through uh through conventional ways um, and then, <coughs> on the other hand, on free-to-play, in, in the free-to-play market, usually, or for many games, some of those really early cohorts are going to be the golden cohorts for your game that, that will stick around uh, for years and monetize for years. Now, in this, in a scenario where we're putting, putting assets uh, into the hands of either purely investors or investor, investor gamers, um, what do... What, what do you think is the audience uh, that we're attracting here in the beginning? Uh, and and um, is it a good or a bad thing? Or does it bring its own challenges with it? Um, yeah, my I think it's super challenging to have an, in, uh, an audience of, of investors. You know, this is something Mike Rubinelli and I talked about 
a lot on his episode when he was explaining blockchain brawlers like if you have people who are just asking who are saying like um hey you made this gameplay balance and now the floor price is down what are you going to do about it and his response was i'm not going to do anything about it i'm optimizing for the gameplay experience not for the floor price and this is the right um long-term um uh choice for the game and that that i thought was really interesting um and so i think i mean investors as a class of player it's just a new type of player that that um come with their own uh needs i think uh that are unique and it sounds like Khalid is already kind of uh understanding their needs and adapting to them um i uh i would think you know a lot of a lot of the success that uh i've had on different free-to-play games has come from guild experiences and in a guild it's pretty you know even in the top guilds in a game it's it's um common for there to be a couple heavy hitters who are like the really big spenders and then a lot of other people supporting them somehow and so you know without tipping my hat too much about some of my forthcoming designs that's something i'm thinking about a lot which is if i have for every investor how do i design gameplay that 50 free players might want to support that person and for them all to have fun and benefit together yeah so i would say that the initial audience as you said anton is is, is mostly speculators investors looking to make profit i think a very small minority of them are, are really diehard fans of the gameplay or the enjoyable experience and i think it's a bit tricky uh, ideally you would like to you know for to tip them over towards you know you know what like this is a really cool game i don't mind playing it or i like to playing it like that would be the best scenario but they are definitely tricky and i don't think usually they would come uh, with patience I think they lack patience. <laughs> that would be a major issue. Yeah, I mean, the on the benefit, though, like, you, the team has business success front-loaded, right? Like, uh, I've been on projects that have never achieved $72 million in sales. I've been on projects where it takes uh many many months of live ops to achieve that level of of uh, sales and revenue and so on one hand uh having having this level of success um gives the team a lot of security and runway i imagine i mean 200 employees is a lot of people that's a pretty pretty high burn rate but like having the security that you're not um, needing to, if you're in a venture back company, constantly be thinking about how do we get to the next metrics of business success so that we unlock our next round of funding. Um, it, it almost feels like you can relax into it a little bit um, and take your time, um, which is very, uh, like, it's a benefit. I mean, just having, having that front-loaded business success, I think, is a benefit. And then it, on the flip side, you need to um, as Khaled said, know about, think about the considerations of, of those people who are believing in you currently and figure out how you want to design gameplay for them and also re releases for them, right? Mm -hmm. I expect yeah. they want like constant forward momentum. For sure, for sure. Um, as an economy designer, what are, 
what are some of the challenges you face when you're thinking about setting up the economy for all these interlocking parts, right? Like we, all three of us know how difficult it is just to develop the power economy for one free-to-play game that's self-contained. And now you're talking about having multiple different experiences. Um, it sounds very exciting, but also uh, very challenging. So kind of how do you how do you approach your work? What are some of the challenges you face when thinking about how do I develop this long-term sustainable economy? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's definitely a, a major issue now uh, that I don't think is, is has a very clear answer yet. But as, I, as I, I mentioned before, like no longer we're just focusing on retention and monetization. We need to keep in mind that the players want the, the, the floor price for their NFTs to remain or if not just increase in price, you need to make sure that the utility token has enough sinks in the economy and then, you know, its prices stable or going up. And basically the, the key question is, is how could you make sure to create enough utility for, for the blockchain assets in your ecosystem? You know, that's a very, very difficult thing to do. It's like, how could I convince you that this NFT has a lot of utility without attaching a, a monetary yield to it? Right. That's that's the main problem. That, that's the main problem. This is what we're trying to achieve. Right. So you said what is uh, so when somebody owns land, what is what is the land based gameplay look like or shaping up like? What are the uh, is it outputting tokens? Is it outputting non crypto resources that are used in other game modes? Like how does it tie into this uh, ecosystem? Yeah, so it's funny that you said that because land is a purely <laughs> utility token producing asset. Okay. You know, it's Got not it. like the other things that are like the alluvials, which are similar to the Pokemon things like that. So <laughs> we, 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 we know that, like we were not trying to tippy toe around it. Like this, these, these are the lands. This right. is what they do. They produce fuel, which is an ERC-20 uh, token. Mm -hmm. And the fuel is basically used in all of alluvium games. So basically, I could give you a use case is that if you need to craft an item in the overworld, you would need on top of the materials, some fuel. Mm -hmm. And that fuel is generated from the land gameplay. Mm. Uh, so once a user generates the fuel, they could directly switch it to ETH mm -hmm. via a liquidity pool that we're going to set up. And players who want to craft stuff, who wants to catch uh, or go into trips into the overworld, they need to buy fuel from there. So that's exactly how, how, how it is now and is, is is the fuel earned uh passively through land ownership or is there a game active gameplay component also to, to generating fuel so uh it's basically like the, there is some gameplay element to it where there is like some some game theory because we have three types of fuel and each land can produce three type of fuel and you could optimize your 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 land depending on which type of fuel you want to generate and, and that has uh, some gameplay elements in it. But most of the time you're just clicking, you know, produce fuel and then you're going to wait a few hours, then you get your fuel. That's basically how, how it is. Got it. Because um, I think I've seen um, these kind of currency generating programs and staking programs being usually divided into, into two camps. So either you have the kind of passive approach where simply kind of owning uh, and passively staking something uh, against the protocol or against the treasury uh, yields you some kind of reward and then the other camp which is maybe a bit more emerging would be tying most if not all of these gameplay rewards that are reserved from the treasury tied to 
to, to gameplay actions. So let's say logging in daily, doing your daily quests, uh, participating in events, etc. And through that kind of bootstrap, also bootstrap a bit more active gameplay uh, rather than, than only rewarding uh, sort of pass- passive, passive ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, personally, I think the latter camp, uh, obviously there's a wide spectrum here uh, and a bit of a mix and match most of the projects out there. Personally, I like the, the latter one more with uh, more active participation being rewarded in the in the daily gameplay you possibly also tied to skill and how you how you manage on the leader weekly leaderboards monthly leaderboards etc and i think it it also ties a bit closer to why i think some of those leading DeFi protocols manage to do their own uh, governance token distribution so well so if we look at something like compound and uniswap I think Uniswap mainly, which which ran the the protocol and the service ran for years without any native token. Uh, and to to listeners who are not familiar with Uniswap, it's uh, it's a decentralized the, the leading decentralized exchange built on built on Ethereum. And then when Uniswap decided that they're going to have a, their own native governance token, uh, when there was a use case for it, then those were distributed to the users of Uniswap who had been using the protocol up until a certain timestamp. And, and, and therefore, all of the whole initial supply uh, went to the active users of Uniswap. And uh, obviously, I had been using the protocol. I liked the service that it provided. And naturally, uh, I had uh, I had a stronger belief to that product beyond kind of the speculative value of the Uniswap token. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's maybe where I'm a fan of 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 maybe in the future seeing more of these gameplay rewards uh, and governance token rewards being distributed uh, to active players uh, that continuously participate in the game, uh, do gameplay, play with other players, etc. Uh, but um, yeah, but naturally we'll see a lot of a lot of these hybrid models going forward. Right, because it, it sounds like uh, Khaled and, and the Illuvium team have the challenge of they have a um, they have a strong community of investors that they need to uh, transform into game players by making fun experiences for them. And uh, the type of model you talked about uh, sounds like how do we attract and retain a group of players and then at some point we turn them into investors by rewarding them for their gameplay and their belief in the project. Exactly. And there I I think the approach is more about increasing the metrics across the board so mm-hmm. with a with a game you're looking to retain people you're looking to monetize them and by progressively introducing more on-chain elements you're you're sort of incentivizing them even more to become an integral part of that game yeah. community or, or or that game ecosystem uh, but again just throwing just yeah. just just throw, that's just playing spitball here yeah just to to add a bit and uh, on that it's like well, what i think we're trying to do is we're trying to cater for the different types of, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like stake, uh, people who are taking stake in, in your ecosystem. So uh, the land gameplay might be more uh, inclined to for investors, while mm-hmm. we have the, the auto battler, which is maybe more for uh, gameplay heavy players, while the overworld is maybe for, for t- a type of explorers or, or uh, people who might want to take risk and they want to see like do i get this rare po- alluvial or, or not you know mm-hmm. so what we're trying to do is just like to to, to mix it up because you know we, we do have an ecosystem and this is what we're trying to do got it uh what state are each of these three games in um i know that uh 
I, I know I filled out a form for uh, beta for the uh, auto battler, so I know that some people are out there testing it right now. Um, but what, what state of development are these three different experiences in currently? Yeah, so speaking about, about the beta, actually, it's like a, a, I, <laughs> I had a lot of, you know, promises, uh, promising a lot of people that, you know, I, I could help get them in. <laughs> but those, those promises weren't filled in. And I think that the people in charge of this, you know, I think they hate me now. Oh, I man. So, inv- like, so I invited been, the wrong person onto the podcast is what you're saying? If my, my end uh, game was just to get a team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like uh, Illuvium Arena, which is our uh, auto battler, is currently on private beta, and and we're planning to release uh, another version, uh, if I'm not mistaken, by the end of the month or maybe early next month. Mm-hmm. And it's going very well. The feedback have been amazing. You, know, you could really see how people in this in this uh, space are really hungry to have uh, their hands on something that is, you know, that has good gameplay that they want to play. Uh, the overworld, we're, we're still working on it, and, and I think there is like a version ready to be put in front of users. I'm not sure when. I don't want to put a date on it, but perhaps maybe in, in a month or two, I, I would say. Uh, and Illuvium Zero, which is the land gameplay, we're planning to release uh, an open alpha version, which should be accessible for everyone uh, next month. At some, not wow. sure, maybe like uh, we're going to try mid next month, something like that. Regarding the testing aspect, uh, now if we look at mobile free-to-play, then I mean, you push a build, uh, you acquire users, very kind of you can a lot of, a lot of stuff you can control in terms of cohort size, what countries you're acquiring from, age groups, etc. Uh, and now, probably correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of this uh, test user base comes from your Discord. They're early supporters, uh, early investors, early players, uh, etc. Uh, do you think? Do you feel that the feedback uh, from from this process is more valuable or, le- or less valuable than, for example, the feedback you're getting on your product by by acquiring users uh, in the more the more web two way during soft launch, or um, yeah, yeah, basically, uh, what 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 are your feelings on kind of does this, is is this a better model or is this currently still a worse model? Yeah, so what I'm seeing is that it's it's definitely the feedback would be biased, you know, especially if they have invested in it. You know, they 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 wouldn't complain as much as someone who would just close the game and you would see they want retention as low as 25 or something like that. That's the bottom like truth. So mm-hmm. what we're testing on is 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 not really. Uh, how how people how much are they engaged but more of just like in trying to prove the product are we meeting their expectations the overall sentiment you know things that are qualitative as opposed to quantitative as much as in the web two space Mm. uh we are still early uh i'm i'm still trying to think of what type of kpis would i be looking at if we're running a web3 game that that's still i would love to read an article like that yeah you know I, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll write one of those someday. I, I expect to, that as a community of game developers, we will invent a lot of new metrics, uh, and introduce them into the, um, into the vocabulary. Uh, one I've been thinking a lot about as an example, I'm very interested in finding out if there's a correlation between, uh, game engagement and, um, Uh, token price and token volume right like i have a theory that the more 
DAO you have in your games, the more activity you'll have on your token. Um, and th and that's part of what's so interesting about uh, uh, Web3 games is that because of the decentralized nature of token exchange, like there there is there will be people buying and selling and trading your tokens that might not even know you're a game they might just randomly be active on uh on on different um swapping protocols uh or just purely they're just playing the game of of uh trading and so that's one of the ones i'm most interested in uh right now in terms of new metrics is like um and, and new exploration. What is the relationship between game engagement and floor price of NFTs and token trading activities? And are these like, is it com in our control or is it out of our control? You know, um, my yeah, that's, general. That's very interesting that you said that. Because like, if, if you have an example like Titan Arena, where it's like you've seen their user base just grow, but it almost had no impact on their token process. That mm -hmm. shows you like there is a weak link there. Yeah. So maybe it's like a, a good metric is that if the, the link is pretty strong, then this shows that most of your users are Web3 yeah. folks. You know, yeah. so yeah, I, I think, the yeah, one of the problems um, with a lot of the economies I've seen so far, and I've talked about it before, is the inflationary um, tokens that the gameplay where the more people who join, the more token supply is created, like SLP or like uh, Thetan's tokens, and that if there aren't appropriate um, utility for that token, if there's no taps that take it out of the marketplace, um, as you have more players as out of the economy, like the it's just creating supply is naturally going to decrease the price, um, and that's not what you want with the game you want a game where the more people who join it the token price either stays stable or increases if it's decreasing because of your success then like you have a product that's not sustainable long term yeah exactly, exactly. um how do you think about i know that's a very broad question but um how do you think about building that sustainable economy for these multiple interweaving um, experiences. It's, it's one of the things that both most excites me as a designer and most frightens me uh, as a designer um, uh, about it. So I'm, I'm kind of just curious how you're approaching the problem. Yeah, uh, it's definitely uh, a very you know, hard problem to solve. And, and you, we've seen a lot of companies fall into that same hole over and over again, you know, not thinking long-term enough. But, but I, I think the approach to solve it is, let's try to avoid having uh, like uh, the people or the players who generate the demand for the token, their incentive shouldn't be that we want to generate even more of that token. I think that's that's the bottom line of the problem. You need to isolate. So you have people who generate the token and then you need other people who, who are consuming it, who their intention is not to increase their production. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's going to be a cycle that will spiral out of control. Got it. So in Alluvium, it sounds like um, you'll have one group of players um, who own the land and are producing fuel. And then you'll have other players who are uh, one, who are collectors who want to collect all the alluviums they can in different events in the overworld gameplay 
and for everything they do, they're going to need fuel. So either they need to buy a piece of land and, and produce their own or multiple pieces of land, um, or if their need for fuel outstrips their supply, they'll need to trade for it um, from other players who own it. Um, yeah, that that's right? exactly how, how we're doing it. That's it. that's 100% right. So we have the landowners who are generating the fuel, and then you have all the other type of players who are uh, seeking these NFTs, and they, they, they are after the, the, the utility that is coming from the, those mm -hmm. NFTs. They generate the demand for the fuel. And is there any um, uh, free fuel, free daily fuel, or free or ability to create some amount of fuel for non-landowning players, or do they essentially need to uh, pay to play? Uh, so there are ways to to play without needing fuel. So in all the 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 NFT assets that we have, you know, it's mostly tiered into tier zero, one, two, three, up to five. So usually the tier zeros do not cost fuel, and you can play the, play them like without without uh, having to spend any any money. But for any tier beyond tier zero, you need to go buy some fuel from the liquidity pool and then do the actions needed to acquire uh, one of these NFTs. So does this also include, if we think about the onboarding, onboarding process? So so is is it a game or is is Arena, for example, a game where? For the first session, you need to connect your wallet, or is there a free-to-play mode that you can try out, sort of in a, in a more frictionless way? How are, how are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, so so in, in Arena we have different game modes. So we have one which is the PvP, and then we have one that is called Survival, which is like a, a wave-based PVE mode, and we have one that is the Leviathan, which is uh, basically like a type of wager. Uh, game mode so the survival mode uh, at its current state which uh, these these things are subject to change but uh, you can uh, hop on play without uh, needing to have any of the nfts because daily we're going to generate nfts for you and you can just play that that part of the game without having to have nfts but if you want to go to the pvp that's a different story you need to have your own uh, nfts to do so so we're trying to to, to mix it up we're trying to mix it up Got it, and then uh, presumably that process as a as a first time player, when when you've been engaging with the free modes, then as, uh, assuming there's some some design trying to funnel the players uh, to create either create a wallet, connect a wallet. Are you thinking about having, for example, hosted wallets for people who are creating it for the first time, or or do you think you already immediately when when you're looking to convert people to 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 wallet players that they'll have a MetaMask or, or something else? Uh, uh, so we're, we're, we're not, we're still a bit early to 200% solve this, but we want to eliminate uh, the friction as much as possible, you know? Uh, so I can't, I can't give you a very hard answer, unfortunately. Uh, Got it. Um, one of the things when I asked for vanity stats, uh, you talked about you have a very large Discord community, a very large Twitter community, and that's you know like the strength of the project and the backbone of the project. Um, and as a designer, how much time do you spend interacting with the community? Like I could see, I could see myself get into a trap of basically spending all day on Discord and not doing any of my spreadsheet work or spec work or uh, other, um, you know, like there's there's a positive and a, and a negative. So what, what are your interactions with, like, with your community? How do you use them to help 
make your designs better, help you make better choices. Um, and then on the flip side, how do you guard your own personal time and space and, and, and make room for yourself and, and not spend uh, all day working and all night on Discord? That These are like the traps I fear yeah. for myself. <laughs> Yeah, so so this is definitely a new environment for me. Like uh, coming from free to play, where we we sit in the dark development for a year and a half, and then we come out to the public, then we engage with the community. Here, it's completely different. And honestly, I don't spend spend uh, as much time as I want with the community mm-hmm. because, as I said, like the game is growing so fast. We have multiple products, and, yeah. and, and our design team is fairly small, so we do, we don't have really enough time to to do to do so. Plus the community are very hungry for information because they are most of the time invested into the project and as much as you want to be transparent you don't want to say something and then they would invest based on that something that you said then it changes then you can imagine how the backlash would be so it's definitely tricky i try to be uh how would i say it? like it's like i uh, very careful with whatever we say uh, we try to be as transparent as, as we can but it's very tricky. It's very tricky. Yeah, it's, it's very almost, new to me. It's almost like um, you need your own media team, right? <laughs> like whose whose job it is to view community, like beyond community management, beyond marketing, like a PR team whose job it is to plan out the messaging for the community on a regular basis to like keep them satisfied. Yeah, and it's very hard to keep track of what things have been said, what things have changed, you know, mm-hmm. in videos and interviews and on Discord channel. It's it's very hard to keep track of all of that. Yeah. How how big is the design team yeah, currently? How many so peers do currently you have? Currently, we are four people, including one of the co-founders, which is Aaron. Got it. That's, so yeah, that's really, sp- I mean, I could have a team of four pe- four designers on an auto battler on just an auto battler and still have capacity for more uh or like work for more so that's uh that's a really small team when i think about um this many different interconnected products yeah 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 it's definitely maybe, maybe that's why uh, this is what attracted me to <laughs> to mm-hmm. you i'm just addicted to to this small team vs big project you know yeah so um, what are some of the biggest, what are some of the lessons you've learned so far going from this free to play, uh, 10 years of free to play development, uh, into web three? I think a lot of the DOF audience is, uh, free, you know, primarily free to play mobile. I think that's where the majority of the listeners are. And if they're listening to this, they're, they've either red pilled like me or they're toying with it and want to learn more. Um, as you've made this transition, what are some of the things you've learned? I mean, we've already highlighted a couple of them, but uh, in, in terms of player types, but w- what are some of the new lessons already about crypto game development? So by far, like the biggest difference is, is the power of community and how much it, it, it could, you know, uh, how can I say it, empower a game studio. Like this one is something that is completely different. Like in, in, in free-to-play, the way we handled it was... As I said, we sit in the dark and then here is our project and then we look at s- some numbers and either we kill it or we keep it. Mm-hmm. Here it's completely different. You feel like the, you, you, you have some 
other parties that are with you in the journey. Mm -hmm. You're not alone and then you're not just solving it on your own and then putting it out there. No, your entire team, you have uh, token holders, you have people who are interested in the game, you have different type of parties. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely a very different experience than free-to-play. And I think free-to-play should, should take some of these parts and try to implement them. Whether it is, even if they just take the token as, as part of, you know, just like the, the fundraising, I think that would be just enough of an of a, of a achievement compared to what you used to be in free-to-play. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I part, and I talked a little bit about this with Space Dog when we talked about Void Runners and, and uh, developing, releasing your uh, game design document, essentially, your white paper as part of the process. Um, I, as a designer, am notoriously bad at accepting feedback. Not that I don't listen, but that my, like, my resp I'm very grumpy, basically. And so I prefer to get my feedback yeah. and comments and written so that I can be grumpy alone before I then go, oh, that's a good point that person made and then make adjustments, right? Like, I have to work, work it out with the punching bag uh, before I... I'm able to listen and, and hear what people are saying. Um, and so I can kind of imagine myself like, uh, imagine having a private channel in discord with some, you know, 50, hundred trusted community members and saying like, Hey, here's the spec for the new arena mode. Um, let us know what you think, put comments. What do you like? What do you not like? And uh, part of me thinks like, oh, I bet that could help, it, you know, as long as I had faith in, in, in myself and stayed true to design, that could really help guide some of the decisions. And some in the other part of me thinks like, oh, that will destroy you, Ethan, like you would, <laughs> you would hate people <laughs> so much if you got feedback on a spec. But um, I don't know how, so as I tell this story about my own <laughs> struggles, like how are, are you leveraging the community to help improve designs before they go out? Are you releasing specs to people? Are you just really, you know, releasing features and talking about it afterwards? It sounds like you use the sentiment to help inform some of the metrics you're tracking as well. Yeah, we are, but we're not doing it to the force of like everything is out there because obviously, like, I think it's 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 a bit bad if, if every decision taking is is done via the community. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that's a good practice. But it's good that every once in a while you put something out there, you check the feedback, and then you get back into into to just fixing it or doing something. And it's different, I must say, like it's different if if they have stakes in it. Mm -hmm. It's different. It's not like they, they have nothing to lose. Let me just, you know, not even give it a good look and just put my comments. No, no, they, they will really look very deeply into it and they would give insight that I have never seen before. Wow. On a related note, um, I think calling, just personal opinion, I think calling these white papers, in my opinion, a bit archaic. I, I think that comes from the fact that some of the early, early, early blockchain protocols, I mean, had very strict technical specifications and, and where the name come from why don't we we should coin a new term here i mean why, why aren't we talking about or why aren't we talking about yeah we're releasing our game design document because that's what these essentially are game design documents with a token design as well uh, i don't know if they should be called game papers or something else but but um yeah, I think that's that's what the Voidrunners team call their game papers. I I like oh, that. Oh yeah, that's true. 
I, I like that. I just, uh, I also, the, the entire term whitelist and blacklist is quite loaded and uh, worth removing from vocabulary, actually. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. We should be calling, we should be calling whitelist, the whitelisted people, the chosen ones. The chosen ones. We're, we're, we're. You're on the list of, you're on the list of the chosen ones. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're all becoming Jews, <laughs> basically. <laughs> they're part of the chosen people. Um, we're calling ours, uh, we're, we're trying to be careful and make sure to say allow list. I like allow list for that. Um, I don't know, it's, uh. Uh, and that's actually I'm modeling out uh, allow list size per gotcha drop uh, this week is is my big fun task. Um, Khalid, as you as you look forward to the future, um, does it feel you know in in free to play we kind of think about soft launch, worldwide launch, live ops, and then live ops is just forever, and. Um, this new web three model feels almost early access like right you could you could almost map it to you guys have done a kickstarter campaign and now you've released part of it to early access and then you actually did uh, like the token launch could be viewed as its first campaign the land launch is is a campaign does this feel like uh you might just be in perpetual uh early access forever or does it feel like there'll be a point where you say like is it per experience? You'll be like, hey, arena mode is live. Like, um, I don't know. Does it feel significantly different as a, as a launch uh, system than um, uh, mobile free-to-play? It, it, it does, it does, it does. It definitely does. And it's, it's much better of an experience. You know, you get the feedback uh, much sooner than what would happen free-to-play. And... You know, you would at least uh, have some. You would generate some revenue before you. The game is out, which which I, I think now is 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 a is a good thing. But later on, I think that that as sad as it would be, I, I don't think it will last. Where uh, they could up, you know, pre-book the revenue before the game is out. I don't think a lot of people would be able to pull that out later on. Yeah. yeah but this is what it is now. Uh, you know, everyone is is utilizing it. But it's definitely different, and it's definitely less punishing than free-to-play. That's what I have to say, for sure. Anton, do you have a question? Normally, when you put your mic... Uh, cl- <laughs> no, I was just, I was just, uh, I was just planning a joke, but... Um, <laughs> okay. We'll save it for uh, next ep- We'll save it. it for the next episode as a cliffhanger. <laughs> well, just to, to close it out... Um, seven, you know, $72 million. It's, it's a giant land sale... Um, are there any parts of it that you think are the uh, keys to why it was so successful? Um, things you would uh, recommend to other um, game designers as they think about how they plan out their own land sales or NFT launches? Like, why do you think Alluvium was so successful? Uh, especially yeah, yeah, sure, against sure. the background of like the hype cycle's over, crypto winter is here, it's a bear market. Like, I, I have to be honest, I was not expecting uh, the project to put up these sort of numbers. I was a little afraid, and you guys crushed it. So, like, what do you think are the uh, keys to this success? Yeah, so, so you know, as, aside from the, 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 the people uh, working at Alluvium and, and, and how much time and effort that they put in into, into the land sale and its success, uh, like, there are definitely some things that I would attribute the success to. 
and uh, obviously the first one is like the goodwill of the brand like as i said the brand have been out there for a very long time and we're not just in it to just you know sell nfts as soon as we can we really made sure that there, there, there is some products that are out there at least people played the beta and, and then they checked how the gameplay would be so that was attributed to the success as well as we very clearly communicated what is the utility mm-hmm. that you're going to get from the lands it's very clear you're going to get fuel and you're going to get blueprints uh, which you could acquire if you scan and then you get a bio data and, and, and so on uh, which would be used for skins later on in the other games. So the utility is, is very well communicated. People know exactly what they are getting into. And even the fuel, we, we stated that it, it would be as you know equivalent to 5% of the company's revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were very detailed on exactly what the people will get. So yeah. transparency, the goodwill of the brand, and I think the enormous work that they have been done in our company, like in the marketing department, did, did pay dividends and going into the land sale we had we had a few main concerns one is like we wanted to avoid gas wars as mm-hmm. much as possible especially seeing what happened to the other lands and we wanted to avoid failed transaction and we wanted to utilize price discovery and the the, the entire uh, dutch auction system with batched lands that we did was entirely designed to do this and because of that like if you compare the the the, the, the total gas fees uh, in the other deeds, which is around 170 million, compared to us, which is 380 thousand dollars. Wow! It's like the the difference is is astronomical. Yeah, and it was a really success. Like I I, I would I would put this at a, as a case case study of how a proper uh, NFT sale should be. Like we we had no whitelist, we had nothing. Pure Dutch auction with batches to avoid bottlenecks uh, of transactions, and it went smoothly and perfectly. Thank God. Wow, that's great. If uh, in, I've just added uh, to my fantasy pile of work that I'll never get to uh, writing a case study on this uh, on this land sale for the community. Maybe I can convince somebody in the. I bet I'll just convince. I'll just trick Javier into writing it for me, and uh, that'll that'll be how I do. It. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Khaled, yeah, that's a good idea. I was thinking about writing something, to be honest. If you'd like to, in all seriousness, if if you'd like to uh, co-author an article about the land sale, I know I'd love to learn from you, and and I'm sure the audience would as well. There's a a huge success, and there's a lot um, that people should pay attention to. Yeah, sure. Uh, Sounds sounds good. With that, uh, I think uh, we'll bring this episode to a close. Anton, thank you for uh, 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 co-piloting this interview with me. And Khalid and the Illuvium uh, team, congrats on all your success, and thank you for coming on and sharing. Yes, thanks. And we hope we hope all the listeners fly with us again. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was all a right. pleasure. Bye, friends.